Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 20. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today we're going to be talking about really the forgotten or the unrealized or sort of the thing that a lot of people leave out when you're talking about building a portfolio strategy that has embedded or downside hedges. We all hear about hedging, we all hear about protecting the downside, but there is this benefit that I'll sort of get into and explain that most people overlook when they're thinking about, well, does it make sense to have a portfolio that has embedded protections on the downside where I give up a little of the upside? And so today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about that and also a little about just the math and and the reasons why this sort of works out. And so when we think about a hedged equity strategy, remember, in general, and we've talked about this before, we've done other shows It's the idea that you want to own the market and you want to get the majority of the upside of the market, but you really want to cap your losses on the downside. You want to participate in most of the upside, but not most of the downside. And so you have an occasion where this strategy lets you sort of has the goal of doing that. And part of why this is really important goes back to the whole notion of how returns are calculated, and if you lose this, you sort of need this to get back to break even. And so a lot of times when you see investment returns, and I've talked about the arithmetic return, the simple average against the geometric return, which is really more representative of what an investor would realize because it takes into account compounding both on the downside and the upside. But we get into sort of the way to get back to break even. And the difference between those two returns is kind of important. And so when you look at a general loss, let's say in any given year, portfolio would lose 10%. You're going to need about 11% to get back to break even. So in other words, you have $100,000 account, you lose 10% or $10,000 to get back to $100,000. You're going to need 11% to get back to break even. You lose 20%, you get back to 25%, or you need 25% to get back to break even. 30% loss, you need about a 43% gain to get back to break even. At 40, right, 67, 50%, you need 100% to get back to break even. And, you know, you lose like 60%, need about 150% to get back to break even. And of course, it gets worse from there. And The reason why this is so important is that it gets back to the whole, the simple average versus the geometric average. So simple average, imagine you lose 50% one year. Okay, so you lose 50%, you're down to $50,000. But if you make 50% the next year, you're only back to $75,000. You're still down on a cumulative basis, 25%. But if you did a simple average of up 50%, down 50%, well, your average return would be zero. But that's not what you realize. And so the geometric return, geometric return, sorry, is what we look at for more of a compounded rate. And your geometric return is negative 25%. And again, you lose 50% on $100,000, you're down to $50,000. If you make 50% again, you only make 50% of the reduced value. So now you don't have as much capital on the rebound. And this is going to be an important point later. You don't have as much capital working for you because you lost so much. And that's part of why when you get those gains, you actually need 100% now to get back to break even. And so this is an important point 
And this really gets into the reason why a hedged equity strategy is so important and how beneficial it can be, not only about not taking as much of a loss, but also the idea of on any type of rebound, there's actually a, a nice forgotten benefit, often overlooked, about recapturing more of the rebound. And so we'll get into that. So we think about a hedged equity strategy. Uh, again, what we're talking about is the idea of being long the market. So what does long the market mean? It means generally you're going to be participating in something that represents ownership in the S&P 500. A lot of times it's a, it's an option which controls but doesn't own shares of, let's say, the SPY, which is an ETF. Uh, but it's, a, it's really a, a hedged equity strategy because the idea is to capture generally about 70, 75% of the upside, but only 8 to 10% of the downside on any given year. And so what does it really mean to be hedged? Well, you've got exposure to the market growth with protection against major declines. It uses the S&P 500 as your sort of core investment, and that represents the S&P 500 index. Uh, of course, you can't buy the index necessarily in itself. You can buy an exchange-traded fund. You can buy an option which controls the index but doesn't own it. And you get the appreciation, look to capture the majority of it. But again, keep those losses between, you know, somewhere between the downside of 8 or 10%, a max loss in any 12-month period is, is the goal. And the goal of the strategy, too, is that it lowers volatility versus, say, a traditional 60-40 mix, 70-30 mix, 80-20. And when I say 80-20, 70-30, 60-40, we're talking about, of course, that classic allocation where you're taking a certain percentage in stocks and a certain percentage in bonds, and you're hoping that that mix uh, lets you diversify enough to stop the downside. But the reality is, as we talked about this before, in years like 2008, uh, when that much downside is there, I mean, you're, most things, whether you're in different sectors, different countries, uh, everything kind of goes down. And also in this period of very low interest rate environment, if rates should go up, um, you know, if the trajectory of rates or the we should see a rise, a rapid rise in rates, that also would put bonds under pressure as well. And it may not act as much of a diversifying agent as people think it might be. And so one of the reasons why people sort of look at this and say, well, maybe I'll just diversify. But again, diversifying only goes to a certain point, And when markets are bad enough, it may not work for you when you need it most. But what's interesting, though, is people are reticent to sort of use insurance or, you know, other types of protection on portfolios. But yet, you know, of course, it's mandated, right? We have to have car insurance, but everybody has car insurance and you may have home insurance, homeowners insurance. You might have life insurance or health insurance. And but people a lot of times are reticent to put portfolio insurance on their investments. And you think about you know, especially somebody who's, let's say, 10, 15 years away from retirement, it can be really important to maintain that base. And a lot of people still need more growth than they think to try and get the assets to a level that will allow them to draw it down in retirement. You know, one of the things I, I read recently, uh, there's a lot of debate about how to fix Social Security, and I'm going to leave that for other people. It's, uh, you know, people smarter than me are working on that. But I read this article in the Wall Street Journal, and it was a proposal, and it involved raising 
the taxable income and then also adjusting the tax up. Again, I'll link to it if you want to read that. But what was really interesting to me was the comments. And sometimes you read comments on an article, it's kind of a black hole and it goes many different directions. But one of the interesting arguments that people had against, let's say, going to more of a 401k type system where you're just investing in in stocks or bonds or some type of asset, is they said, look, if you're close to retirement, like in 2008, theoretically, a lot of people, and we saw this with target date funds, they might have lost a lot of money in the downturn. And so some people say, well, I'd rather have a defined benefit like Social Security. At least I can't lose in the market. But it also got me thinking, those types of comments speak directly. They speak directly to why hedging and limiting the downside is so important, but still having the opportunity to get the majority of the upside. So it seems like a lot of those comments, when I was reading them, I was thinking, you know, this really screams for the benefits of, of hedged equity. And so, like I said, we, we don't often think about, and sometimes it's the largest asset. I mean, some people, their house has the largest asset, depends on the debit balance and the mortgage and everything like that. But often people's greatest asset or largest asset are their investment accounts. Uh, so why not consider using some type of insurance or a strategy that limits the downside on your largest asset, which is an investment account? And so there's a couple reasons. I mentioned already the whole idea of if you lose this, then you got to make that to get back to break even, right? You lose 50%, you need 100% to get back to break even. The less you can lose, the easier it is to get back to break even. Um, And remember, there's also that really, I'm not going to say it's a hidden thing, but it's one of the most overlooked benefits of having hedges, which potentially can go up in value when the market's going down in the portfolio, and it deals with how you reinvest when the market's down uh, and capture potentially more of that upside on the way back up. But one of the things that a hedged equity portfolio does is it also lessens the volatility. Now, if, if you were to look and say, hey, I've got one portfolio, and let's say in year one, I make 40%, year two, it's down 30%, up 40%, down 30%. And then you looked at a second portfolio and said, well, it's down 10, up 15%, down 10%, up 15%. And you ask people, hey, which one do you want? Which one do you think would be better? A lot of people might choose the first one because they saw those higher numbers. But the reality is, if you look at you know hypothetical performance, that first one would be down you know, 4% or so after four years. The other one would be up 7%. And so it goes to that thing, when you don't lose as much, you don't need to make as much to advance the value of your portfolio. And it goes into the, the requirement to get back to break even, the requirement as far as a compounding basis. The less that you lose, the more you have working for you if markets recover. And so... One of the reasons to obviously, among many, limiting the downside is so important is this idea that if you lose capital, if you lose assets, that's capital and that's assets that can't grow. And so volatility, downside moves, those are all really difficult things for a portfolio to sort of absorb. And it just really goes to the the notion of how important protecting the downside is, especially for those within, you know, getting closer to retirement. And as I said before, to me, a lot of people think about, well, you've got the accumulation phase, you've got the distribution phase. Accumulation means investors are accumulating assets over time, and then they retire and they start to draw it down. But I think 
there's really that third phase, and I've talked about it before, and it's this this base maximization phase. And if you have this accumulation and then you reach the prime working years, you've got assets. And this is where uh, the key really might be to, to forge ahead and get a nice return in those last decade or so prior to retirement. Often we say, you know, how many doubles do you need, right? Uh, the idea if you make 7.2% a year, the rule is 72, 72 divided by 7.2 is 10. And it's this whole, how many times do you have to compound your assets to get to a level to be able to draw down and live comfortably in retirement? But we know that uh, the idea is fairly simple, and it's just overcoming smaller percentage losses require a smaller gain in the future. And so we've talked about that. But here's sort of the, the special thing I think that's really important and most people overlooked with the idea of a hedged equity portfolio. And remember, the idea is that you're going to capture, you look to capture, you have the goal of capturing the majority of the upside, but keep the losses in a given year uh, not to exceed 8 or 10%. And so imagine this. Imagine you've got a, a portfolio and, okay, the market goes down, and let's say the market goes down roughly 25%. So the idea is that, okay, you'll only realize or look to realize the first 10% down. And so you didn't realize the additional 15%. You felt the first 8 to 10% didn't feel 10% or 8, 8 or 10% all the way to 25%. And so you think about that. What happens to the capital? Well, your capital, the goal is not to go down as much as the market. But here's the really important thing, the really important thing that most people miss about having hedges in a portfolio. And it's this. If you don't go down as much as the market, and if you have things that actually gain in value while your underlying investments are are losing, or you avoid the loss because maybe you have something that didn't, could only go down a certain amount, you have the ability then to almost dollar cost average lower. You have the ability to use the avoided loss or hedging profits to acquire more shares. So let's take the example a little bit further. Let's say you had 100 shares of something and the market went down 25%. You only realized 8 to 10% of that. Well, instead of having only 100 shares, uh, if the market were to recover, maybe you're able to go in and get an extra 20 shares or or so. So then instead of having 100 shares, you have 120 shares. You're able to buy in at lower values because you either avoided a loss or your hedges made money. You want to monetize those hedges. And then what happens? Well, let's say the market recovers. And as the market recovers, then you've actually got more shares to participate in the recovery if it does that. No guarantee, of course, it will. But um, so the idea is that you almost have, you know, 100% of your initial allocation was 100 shares. If you're able to add 20 shares, well, now you have 120% participation on the way back up. And so when I say that there's often an overlooked aspect to having a hedged equity strategy, this is it. And it's the idea that if you avoid the loss or you make money on your hedges, reinvesting those hedging profits while the market is down is one of the fundamental benefits that most people uh, initially don't think of. 
And so to me, that is a really important point. And it also is an important point because a lot of times people are trying to, you know, you're trying to time the market. You're saying, well, should I invest now? Should I not invest now? And often when people try and time the market, they miss out because they they might not get involved and the market goes up or they might sell as the market's down and then not get in again until the market, you know, is well back up because fear comes in. And so this is a big benefit. I think it's a really important thing. Uh, but also it's important because it also lets you sort of avoid trying to time the market. And so the other interesting thing about this is there's good news. I mean, most years the market is up. In fact, if you look at historically, the market, if we look at a one-year return on the market, you know, just using sort of historical uh, data, I think, you know, going 1926 or so through 2018 or 17, but about 50% of the time, the market is up greater than 15%. And that might actually surprise some people. But generally, we know that the market is up over time. And in fact, I, I've referenced this before, but, you know, Jeremy Siegel, uh, the professor at Warden, he wrote a book called Stocks for the Long Run. And in his data, I think he went back to either 1802 or something like that. And he, he's always made the case that stocks have performed very well over the long periods of time. Uh, I think Bob Schiller, you know, from Yale, he also wrote a book called Irrational Exuberance. I don't think he quite went back that far, uh, but he went back quite uh, maybe mid-1800s. And it's kind of the same thing. I mean, stocks generally have pretty good returns. The market's grown over time. Of course, we have these periods where you've got drawdowns, and that's what you have to guard against if you've got a base of funds and if you're looking at retirement. But back to the historical frequency, as we'll call it. So about 50% of the time, the market goes up greater than 15%. And most investors would be really happy to participate in this types of market. And, you know, if the market went up here and you had a a hedged equity strategy, meaning you own, own the market, but you've got downside protection, um, you're going to capture about 75 to 85%, or you look to capture the expected return, let's say, be, be about 75 to 85% of that up move. Uh, about 20% of the time, markets fall in between plus 2% or plus 15%. And in this case, you know, probably there you're looking more an expected return about 65 to 75% of the up move. And part of the reason why it's a little bit less is there is a cost of hedging, you know, typically, uh, you know, three to 4% or uh, two and a half to 4% depends on the environment where you're giving up. That's how you give up the upside is there is a cost of hedging. There's cost to having that insurance in a portfolio. But even if you're up two to, to 15% in the market, you get about 65 to 75%. For the right person who is in that last phase prior to retirement, who can't take unhedged 2008 type downfalls or down, uh, you know, down moves in the market, you're still participating in the gains, but you've still got your hedges in place. The one that is a little bit disappointing is about 10% of the time markets are roughly negative 8% to positive 2%. And in that case, most likely because of the cost of hedging, you're going to underperform the market somewhere between 2 and 4%. It's not a great environment. Uh, essentially, you know, more of a flat market. You'll realize the loss is down to 8%. You've got a little bit of cost of hedging. 
And you might be a little disappointed. You, you might not find the value of hedges as much. But remember, it's, it's not about hedging dollar one. It's about hedging the big moves. And there is a cost of cost of hedging. And then here's the one where you absolutely fall in love with hedging and its losses are, you know, let's say losses are limited somewhere between 8 and 10% for the year. About 20% of the time, a market's return, the S&P 500 we're talking about when we talk about the market, was somewhere between negative 8% and negative 100%. Okay, the market's never gone down negative 100%. But uh, 20% of the time, we have had some, some returns greater than sort of the, the line in the sand. And so here, the max loss is experienced, you know, that 8 to 10% floor. But investors would be quite relieved to be hedged. Um, the reason being is, you know, let's say the market like in 2008 went down 38% and you only lost 8 to 10%. You avoided somewhere between 30 and, uh, uh, you know, 27, 27% to 30% of the losses. And this is where that sort of overlooked benefit comes into play. And the overlooked benefit is that investors most likely are going to be optimistic about the ability to, to use the, uh, the hedging profits or the avoided losses to buy in more shares, to represent more shares. And then if you get that recovery, well, now you've got more shares. You've essentially bought in at lower prices. And so this is a really good benefit. And I think it's one thing that certainly is overlooked. So when you think about hedged equity, there's a couple of things. Number one is there is a little bit, we call it the cost of hedging. And so the cost of hedging is you know somewhere 2.5%, 4% on a, an annual basis. It's not a fee, but it's just you've got to, got to buy positions or do some, some things in the account that cost a little bit of money. And it's not a cost, but it's necessarily a drag. That's a good way to put on it. And it's a drag because, like I said, and if the market's up quite a bit, you're only going to get about 75 to 85% or the goal of getting 75 to 85% of it. But as an investor who, and for the right type of person, who cannot take a 2008 type loss is worried about the balance of their accounts going towards retirement, uh, who has maybe not too many prime working years left with their, their prime earning years left. I think this makes a lot of sense. And so it lets somebody still strive for growth, uh, the majority of growth in the markets. And we can see that 50% of the time, historically, of course, past performance is no indication of future results. Uh, but we see that over time, generally markets are up um, in most years. But of course, you have these drawdowns. And so there's a lot of benefit for that, uh, capturing the majority of the upside. But again, it, the less you lose, the less capital you lose, the more capital that you have working for you, and the more preservation of capital that you have. And then if the markets do have some type of really bad year where it's down quite a bit and you avoid a lot of that loss, you can take the hedging profits or the avoided loss, and now you've just added you to your position. You have got more shares. If you get a recovery, you actually have more shares that you did, but you never took the majority of the losses. So hopefully this is helpful in explaining what I think is the most overlooked benefit of a hedged equity strategy. Um, so with that, folks, I'm going to end it here and I'll link to a couple things as I always do. I think I mentioned a couple books 
And uh, I'll also link in to some podcasts that we did just about the strategy in general. And we'll talk to you all soon.